launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. Just too big, too strong, and too good at the end. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cats Whiskers. I'm Mark Brunger sitting in the host chair this week. Wes Cusworth is on assignment, so he's left it to the uh, the three wise monkeys in myself. Uh, Anthony Pekovic, welcome, and also Mark Browning, welcome to you both. Evening all. Evening well, everyone, great to be here. Let's uh, let's kick off by uh, having a look at last uh, Saturday night's game. It was, uh, as we sort of predicted, gentlemen, it was uh, a fairly one-sided contest, but it was only after quarter time that it became a one-sided contest. And uh, at quarter time, uh, Anthony Pekovic, I'm not sure about you, but um, I was a little bit nervous in my seat uh, as North Melbourne sort of seemed to, to rise to the occasion in the first quarter. Well, they did. They certainly had a crack and they had a very, very effective player. Uh, number 13, he was wearing a uh, yellow vest. Um, he scored two of their three early goals and uh, kept them in the game. But once he faded from uh, view, uh, North tended to struggle. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit one-sided. And I know, uh, Mark Browning, you, you were wondering uh, whether I might have been uh, rethinking my uh, my thoughts on uh, David Noble that I expressed a few weeks ago. Is that right? Well, yes, it was. I mean, as you just mentioned, guys, uh, uh, quarter time, uh, it, it looked like uh, the AFL might have branded the round, the upset round, because you'd had already had St Kilda beat Carlton. You'd already had Essendon beat Sydney. And North Melbourne were... Everyone was mildly considering North Melbourne upsetting Geelong. But uh, from that moment onward, Geelong, well, was it Witches Hats or was it uh, Fitzroy 1996 reincarnated? Because what they got one point after half time, and uh, they they were just a rabble and they couldn't get the ball past the centre. It, it, you know, we might have seen or played in games and been on the wrong end of it, even in junior football, where a side is just a total mismatch for the other side and not competing. And that's what it looked like after half time, certainly. And, yeah, like Mark, you and I discussed last week where North Melbourne were at and where David Noble was at. And, you know, every piece of media suggests that he's a, he's a good man, um, very knowledgeable. But his team are just not playing for him. And you can't sack the entire list. So North have got to do something. Do, have you had, I had a rethink about this? And just, oh, sorry, just quickly before, I've had experience at this. I've mentioned my Carlton mate a number of times, Craig Dunn from Mount Gambia. He was talking about Brendan Bolton to me when in 2019, I think it was. We've got to get rid of Brendan Bolton from Carlton. He kept saying, I said, no, you can't just keep changing the coach. And then I saw Carlton play against Essendon at the MCG and they were woeful at the end of the game. I said, no, I changed my mind. I've got to, you've got to replace Bolton, which they did with Teague. Mark, have you changed your tune on David Noble? Do you think North really do have to do something? 
Yeah, look, I think there's there's more problems at North Melbourne than just the coach. I think there's uh, there's obviously a lot of disenchantment with the front office as well, and uh, we we've heard uh, uh, Ben Amafi, who's the uh, the CEO there, come into question this week, and also the uh, the new president as well. So uh, there's a few people starting to express some some concerns for the for the front office as well not just what's happening on the field. So it's a bit of a powder keg at North Melbourne. In terms of David Noble, uh, look, I was prepared to cut him some slack until I actually saw his uh, post-match interview on Saturday night. Uh, And there were some really confusing messages that were coming out the mouth of a senior coach that I just thought didn't sound quite right. It's like, he said that, you know, we were with Geelong for the first quarter and then they they changed and 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 they adjusted and we didn't adjust. And I'm not sure the players know what to do when, you know, when an opposition team adjusts. Well, I've got some news for you, David. <laughs> when the other team adjusts, because you're the coach, you're expected to actually adjust and try and answer that question yourself, not the players. You're the, you're the one getting the bucks to make the calls on those sorts of things. So that, to me, sort of started to sound like uh, there's a disconnect between the players and the coach, and that's always a big, big problem. So I would be very surprised now as whether David Noble sees out the remainder of the year, and I, I think maybe Jeff Walsh's uh, review might be uh, might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, I think, in that one. The problem for North will be attracting a person better than David Noble because they've gone with first-time coaches uh, the last couple of times. Um, They probably don't want to go down that path again because they could just literally kill another coach. And yet an experienced campaigner is not going to want to uh, ruin their record knowing that they've still got... probably a couple of years of pain still ahead of them. So attracting, it's no good talking about getting Alistair Clarkson. What would possibly North Melbourne have that would interest Alistair Clarkson or any other coach of that ilk? It would be a a massive challenge to lift North Melbourne, given the state of their list. The North are where they are at now because of decisions made over the past three or four years. And every major decision that North have been involved in in that period, they appear to have gotten wrong. They cut far too deep into their list. They kicked out older, experienced players before there were ready replacements um, in line. They had uh, another massive cull at the end of 2020. um, And uh, some of the young talent they've brought into the club are taking a long time to find their feet at AFL. So they've got to rule a line under all of that, all the finger pointing, all the blaming. No, the recruiting's not to blame. This one's not to blame. That one's not to blame. They've got to rule a line under it and they've got to start doing some things that are actually going to improve them, even in the short term. They've got to bring in some experienced talent. They've got to bring in some players who... Uh, towards the end of their career, but ready for one more challenge. A player, if I I was North Melbourne, the sort of player I would be targeting is someone like a Zach Tui, who who is going to come out of contract at Geelong. He's been part of a successful setup. He's a great team man. He is a leader. He would be someone who would bring a commitment and courage and confidence 
and a little bit of humour because they're certainly not enjoying their football. Um, they need to target some players of that ilk to simply show the younger players and set a particular standard, whether it be at training and in games, and would bring a wealth of experience to them. Just, they just can't keep throwing young talent into that team and hoping that it's going to uh, come up. And, and they've either got to back David Noble to the hilt or they've got to know that there is someone who is actually better who is there to replace him. It's no good just replacing like for like. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more uh, with you there, Anthony. I, I can see this being uh, Carlton version two and, the, and taking the amount of time that Carlton has actually taken to get to where they are now. And Mark Browning, just following on from Anthony Pekovic's comments there about potential coaches, we keep hearing the name of Adam Simpson for our West Coast fans. I'm sure they won't be pleased to hear that, but we keep hearing that uh, North Melbourne are uh, somewhat pleading with with Adam Simpson to, to come home and uh, and take over the reins, but he may be in the same boat as Alistair Clarkson. I think he'd have more chance uh, right now winning a premiership with uh, West Coast than he would with North Melbourne. Another premiership, yes. Um, look, he's obviously far better resourced in Perth than he would be uh, at Arden Street, but uh, look, there will be a, a, a lure there. He, it would play on his mind. His old club, he was a great servant of, uh, of the Shinboners and certainly exhibited Shinboner spirit. He's not the only option. I mean, Liam Cameron's out there. Uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly got some reputation as a coach and, and might be able to do a good job. Um, I don't know. Look, I mean, do they, Anthony, to get the experienced players, Scott Pendlebury's been mentioned, do they... Do the AFL need to bring back in the ten-year rule, and uh, <laughs> start, they did in 1972, and start North can start sending out um, brown paper bags full of cash around to various uh, older players at other clubs. Yeah, look, it's they're a proud, proud club. Um, you know, it, it's it's not good to see them playing so poorly, and you know they they played the the greatest game of football I've ever seen against Geelong in the preliminary final in 1994. They won two flags in the 90s with a fantastic side. You know, there, there is a way back, and, and everybody knows it, it can take time, but there is a way back. Uh, the AFL will look after them better than they looked after Fitzroy in 1996. So, uh, yeah, we, we will see it turn around. But, yeah, they've got to do something. They can't just leave it as is, can they? No, that's right. No, I'm, the first step, I suppose, is they've got to get everyone on the same page. At the moment, there seems to be different people um, saying uh, contrary things. And there are a number of former players who haven't exactly been helpful, really putting the boots in and kicking them when they're down. Um, they wouldn't have liked that in their time as playing. Um, and maybe some of them need to be a little bit more constructive and actually reach out to the club and say, how can I help? Rather than just using the megaphone of the media to, to continually bag them and the people involved. And... Um, and people who've put their money into the club, um, you know, start coming up with some suggestions that can actually help and bring about some change. Because just just bagging people and uh, uh, bagging the players, the coach, the, the administration, that doesn't achieve anything in the end. People get defensive. They make poor decisions. Um, they've just got to get everyone together. Um, in the same way that Frank Costa and Brian Cook and Mark Thompson did at Geelong, um, 
in the early 2000s. They, they righted the ship by being an un, having an unbreakable bond between the three of them, and that carried a lot of people with them when Geelong were going through some of their darkest hours. So that's the template uh, for North to follow. Yep, absolutely. Well, one uh, of the pieces of the coaching jigsaw puzzle has fallen into place this week uh, with Stuart Jew being re-signed by the Gold Coast Suns for another two years. Uh, Anthony, I think that's a wonderful decision. Stuart Jew has got uh, Gold Coast Suns playing the best football they have in their entire career so far, and they are still even a, a threat to maybe make the top eight at this stage. Look, they're, they're definitely a bit of a chance. I don't think they will. I don't think they're quite at that level yet. Um, they've dropped some close games this year, uh, which means that they're not far away. And maybe in the next year or two, they'll start winning those close games and that will make all the difference in the end. Um, it's a good appointment. It's good to see the club sticking with him. Um, the young players seem to be on board. Um, they've re-signed quite a few of them, which is a great sign for the future rather than having that young talent going off to, to Melbourne-based clubs, they're actually staying on the Gold Coast. They've just now got to get more people invested in their club, more people from the Gold Coast invested in that club. Um, and a few a few more wins might actually do that. So uh, keep working at it, Gold Coast. Um, your time might come. Yeah, they're starting to feel more like a footy team and a footy club rather than just a... Uh... The plaything's not the right word, but just a, a, some businessman's idea of a, a of um, status, a status symbol for a businessman, um, which is GWS were as a football club right from day one. Uh, they're not going, they're travelling that well at the moment, but when you play them, you feel like you're playing a footy team. Gold Coast Suns is the first time probably since Ablett nearly got them in the finals in 20, 2014 that... Uh, you feel like they're, they're a proper football team that have got something going for them. Yeah, playing some very good football at the moment. Well, uh, Mark Browning, you uh, ventured to the to the MCG last weekend to uh, see Essendon and Sydney, and uh, what a day to go and see the Bombers in action. Uh, uh, the question uh, is begged, why can't they play like that every week? Well, Essendon supporters are asking that, themselves, of course. Uh, look, this was a ripper game of football. I've been very lucky with my trips to the MCG. You know, I'm finding that as I get older, I'm an, uh, uh, an afternoon football watcher, an old-fashioned afternoon football watcher. I prefer that to the nights, especially in July and August when the temperature drips into drops into single figures by about 15-minute mark of the first quarter, and I'm not behind glass. I'm out there. So, uh, you know, the previous week, uh, two, was it two weeks before, I went to the uh, Geelong-Richmond game. Loved that. I've seen Geelong-Collingwood. It's almost like the venue inspires the players to play better. And this was a very uh, even game, shifts in momentum. And like the Carlton Secure game, the team that kicked straight, straightest, won the game. Max Patley had a bad day in front of goal. Buddy Franklin missed a crucial shot in the last quarter. So once again, yeah, the MCG's provided me with great entertainment and um, a nice coffee and donut. But uh, what I did notice, gentlemen, was that I said gentlemen rather than guys, so this is a serious question, was that coming home on the train, that from back from Melbourne to Geelong, the train was heaving. And this is not a criticism of V-Line, 
the scheduling was such that uh, the Essendon and Sydney supporters that were heading out to the western suburbs and back to Geelong and the Geelong and North Melbourne supporters were all on the same train. They were hanging from the rafters. I just don't reckon anyone at uh, Fox or uh, Channel 7 was all that disturbed by that fact, but it just shows a complete disregard again for the spectator. Geelong, what, got four games in a row at 7.25pm at night in the, in July and August? Yeah, they're really considerate of the fans, aren't they, that go to the game rather than those that watch on telly in front of their heater. Well, I don't, don't know about you, Anthony Pekovic, but um, I'm not exactly enamoured with uh, Thursday night football. And, uh, of course, the Cats uh, kick it all off uh, this Thursday night. Of course, we're, we're recording this on a, uh, a Wednesday night, so we don't know the result uh, as we as we go to air on, on Sport FM. But uh, it's the biggest game of the year, potentially, and uh, it will tell us a lot about these two teams going into into the finals, but once again, seven twenty on a Thursday night. Uh, what a great night for football! Not <laughs> we're lucky; it's a bit school holidays, I suppose. But uh, it, it's an interesting conundrum for for fans and for the AFL. Um, I, I know that the AFL are listening; they they understand what the problems are. I know they've surveyed. I know they've got in amongst the, the supporters, and I think they know what the issues are. But a bit like cricket, um, scheduling is the really hard part of the equation, and 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 meeting the dual demands of the major stakeholders in terms of television, whether that be Foxtel or Channel Seven, who don't like to see games in competition with one another. Um, and, of course, love night football because more people watch. Uh, more, the more people watch, the more advertising they can sell, uh, the more money they can make off their investments. It's just that the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in recent years when it comes to uh, scheduling. And uh, this will be a great game whenever it's played. We could play it at midnight and it would still have an audience. But... Um, it's a real tragedy, I think, for football that a, a big marquee game like this can't be played on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and uh, it's, it's a blockbuster. It's a genuine blockbuster. But 7.20 on a Thursday night in the middle of winter, and for the last several years, that's been Geelong's lot. We seem to have very few uh, early season home games at Cadinia Park. We then have a rush of them during the middle of winter in July and August. They all seem to be at night. We absolutely freeze our absolute tits off at the football. You've got no idea. A lot of these people need to get out and sit in the stands with the fans and just understand just how cold it is. You literally, your hands are so cold, you cannot mark the goal kickers on your footy record because it is just unbelievably cold. And you can wear as many layers as you like. Um, and it's a shame that this sort of that that's the sort of things that we have to put up with as as Geelong fans, and and some clubs will know exactly what I'm talking about. Anthony, Pickett, you, weren't, uh, you weren't you uh, weren't that you weren't that man that uh, spotted at uh, Marvel Stadium, were you? With the uh, the magnetic board making the moves as they happened out in the ground. That's not you, is it? That's a fanaticism uh, well above mine. I, luckily, I can do all of that in my head without using the actual magnetic board. Do you buy that, Mark Browning? 
Uh, yes, I do. Exactly. Actually, yes. So anyone that can uh, remember every kick, every mark from uh, 1972 to the present day um, probably has no problem with uh, manipulating in their head where the teams line up. But I, I throw this question out there. Um, this could well be a grand final preview. It would be lovely if it was for Cat supporters. Uh, sure, there's only going to be 20,000 there because of the limitations of a capacity at Kidinia Park. Should the AFL have considered a move? Like they might have done, well, how long ago was that? About 20 years ago? They sort of said, right, no, this fixture's got to go to the MCG. And there is only, I think, maybe one game at the MCG this weekend anyway. Collingwood, North Melbourne, should they have thought of relocating it? Because because if it had been at the MCG, there'd be sixty or 70,000 there, wouldn't there? Do you want to answer that, Anthony, or will I? Ah, uh, look, um, I, I'm a move proponent. I, I like to see big games at the MCG. I have no difficulty with that. I know I know a lot of people would have, but the the MCG does have wonderful corporate facilities that would that would enable the uh, Geelong High Flyers to be well looked after. Um, but 7.20 on a Thursday for people who work, um, that might be the, the issue. But, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen this game played at the MCG, yes, but uh, possibly more on a Friday night or on a Saturday or even better on a Saturday afternoon. But uh, I'm, I'm generally... We were sold on the idea that big games would be moved to the MCG, especially when they built uh, the Docklands. Uh, it hasn't happened for a whole variety of reasons when we were told that that was going to happen. But, um, yeah, I know I, I love my football at Cadinia Park, but I don't love it as much um, Thursday nights in the middle of winter. Well, I'm going to be the old curmudgeon of the group and I'm going to say a flat no. Cadinia Park for mine. Um before we uh, we get to towards the end of the show and uh, and get our tips for the, for the big game, even though it will have been played by the time we go to where, I still want to get us on the record for what might happen. But Anthony, you mentioned before that the AFL is is listening and and they've come out this week and and indicated that uh, the floating fixture is a thing of the past in terms of they'll nominate the first. 16 rounds in their drawn level uh, and then keep a, another few rounds potentially uh, as a floating fixture towards the end of the season, but definitely round 23 will be a floating fixture. Um, they've talked about earlier starts to night games uh, and one that would excite you no end is that they've talked about the electronic ticketing system and also the fact that they're going to move back towards uh, people getting membership cards like they used to in, in the past. And the other interesting thing out of it, gentlemen, was that they indicated that there was a lot of people they researched who uh, actually preferred post-COVID staying at home because of the cost of actually going to the football, food, transport, um, admission to the game, all those sorts of things. They felt it was better value for them to stay at home. So there's some interesting thoughts there, Anthony, uh, and some good feedback from, from Joe Public. Yeah, I think that they have been listening to those things. And they're things they can change within their power. Um, planning your football season is quite complicated. People have a lot of social functions, birthdays, holidays, um, they take leave from their work. They do a whole range of things. They organise interstate trips, all based around the fixture. The earlier you can know those things, you can lock them in and you can set aside your time to, guess what, attend the games. And um, 
it's a lot more complicated for the serious football follower. I'm not talking about the theatre goers who just on a whim decide to go to a game of football. That's fine. They can do that any time they like. But for the serious, committed football supporter, the earlier that you know that a particular game is on, um, you can you can adjust to that. The membership cards, the the the, the electronic ticketing fiasco, and it is a fiasco. Um, the, the sooner you can opt out of that, the better, and just get your damn membership card and flash it at the gate. That is uh, easy. It should never have been abandoned. Um, it was wrong to do that. Um, it sidelined a number of people from the game who decided, as you said, Mark, it's easy to stay at home. And the true costs associated with the game are not the game itself. The, the, the cost associated with the game itself is fine. It's the add-on costs of getting to and from the football and all of the other associated paraphernalia that you have to do. Um, a lot of people don't want to bring a bag of food to the football. Why? Because you've got to stand in a queue that's 10 miles long to have your bag checked. Um, people know you travel light to the footy. It means you're spending more money on peripherals. It's an issue. And, of course, they charge like a wounded bull for a, for a pie and a, for a cold pie and... Um, a you know, drink. a thimble full of chips. So it's it's one of those conundrums. But they've got to keep listening and keep adjusting as they go. So, Anthony, should they also, with the membership cards, are you talking about a barcode one or a piece of thickened cardboard where you get the <laughs> punched out around the edge? I don't, I don't mind that. I thought in the 70s when I, re when I received my first membership card in the 70s when I was about 10, um, it was the... It was a treasured item. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Um, when we updated to the barcode, that was wonderful as well. But, um, you know, the, this whole thing on your phone is just does my head in. Oh, there you go, listeners. A bit of a uh, look into the uh, to the mind of, of Anthony Petkovic there. That'll uh, tell you a little bit more about the character that he is. Well, gentlemen, uh, as we mentioned, the big game at uh, GMHBA Stadium on Thursday night. Uh, it's the Caps and the Ds, uh, potentially a grand final preview, one of several big games over the weekend. Uh, the other one, of course, being uh, Sydney and the Western Bulldogs. Both of those teams desperately need to win that game. But in terms of the one at GMHBA Stadium, uh, Anthony Pekovic, we'll start with you. Uh, results and margin. I think a narrow win to Geelong, maybe about uh, 15 points. Uh, I think they can win. I think uh, they're, they're in peak form. I just love what Jeremy Cameron's doing. Tom Hawkins, as I said, would, would follow a poor game with a great game, as he always does. Um, Geelong's back line is looking very settled, even without Tom Stewart. If Reese Stanley and Mark Blixavs can break even in the ruck, I think uh, Geelong can do that. And uh, I'd be interested to see what they do with Clayton Oliver. Um, is he taggable? Who would be the man to do it? Um, come on board, Tommy Atkins. Your moment has arrived. Yeah, I think Geelong can win if they. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I think Geelong can win if they don't panic like they did last year down at Kidinia Park in the last quarter. Uh, they just have to hold their nerve. I think whether Gorn plays or not is a huge uh, influence on which way the game will go. I don't. You know, you can win or lose a close one of these, and it doesn't really reflect how the finals will go. But Geelong's record generally at home against Melbourne is pretty good, so. Uh, think that, yeah, just have enough in their favour if they hold their nerve to get over the line against 
a Melbourne side, it is starting to re-emerge and, and get closer back to their best form. So, yeah, it should be a ripper um, and uh, hopefully it goes down to the wire and hopefully comes out the way that uh, the people at the Cats Whiskers all want. Exactly right. And that goes for me too. I think the Cats will just get it done by a couple of goals. Uh, for me, the, the the battle of the night is 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 obviously Lever and May versus Geelong's forward line, how they'll control that and, and will they be able to dry up uh, the chances of the Geelong forward line in, in being able to, to generate a, a, enough of a score. So that to me is one of the keys. And then also the midfield with uh, Petrarca and Oliver and, and so on. And obviously, as we saw last week, Danger is, is starting to uh, purr away nicely. The little rest he's had has done him the world of good and he, he looked very sharp. Uh, last week against North Melbourne. So hopefully another big game from, from danger. And of course, uh, the return of Sam DeConing and also the skipper uh, in uh, Joel Selwood, uh, a number of good inclusions there for the Cats. So I think it'll be a, a fascinating game. Uh, and let's hope that we get something uh, as close and exciting as what the game was against the Tigers a couple of weeks ago. I think that'll be uh, a great result if we end up uh, getting, getting something like that. But uh, Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. As always, uh, it's always a great pleasure to to get together and talk all things football. And there's always plenty to talk about, whether it's uh, spring, summer, autumn or winter. Uh, thank you very much for your time tonight. And also thank you to all of our listeners through Sport FM and on any of the various platforms that our podcast is heard on. This is Mark Brunger signing off on behalf of the team. Wes Cusworth will be back. Uh, again next week in the host seat, but Mark Brunger on behalf of Anthony Pekovic and Mark Browning saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you on the Cats Whiskers again next week.